If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome in to the latest edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Curtis, today. Uh, and guys, we know that it is SEC Media Days week and uh, that we were up on Tuesday, but our plan is to kind of just hold off on talking about all the goings-on in Hoover until uh, the entire week kind of runs its course so that we know who the media officially chooses as its collective pick for the SEC East title. Although, as you know, Kurt, they're not going to get it right. They never do. Um, even if they pick us, I'm sure if they pick us, pick us, it'll be the kiss of death there. But we're going to wait until that comes out and then kind of recap all the pertinent conversation that came out over the course of the entire week. So we just want the week play out in its entirety. Then we'll pick and choose the, the pertinent information that we want to recap and we'll definitely do that for you guys next week so we're not entirely ignoring media days i know what's going on right now it's the hot topic of conversation but we're just gonna uh wait a little bit until it wraps up before we dig into it there but um before we get into the actual topic of today's show which as promised is the next edition of our summer scouting the enemy series this time pulling double duty today with a preview of both the Vanderbilt commodores and the missouri tigers uh, just a few quick reminders that if you ever feel compared to, compelled to share your thoughts on the show or the topics we discuss, or uh, just kind of get our take on something something that you are curious about, you can definitely contact us anytime on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, and you can also check out our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. We definitely love hearing from you guys and getting your feedback, so whatever works for you works for us. Uh, you can also find the show on Dog Sports Radio of the V Sport O Internet Radio Network, iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. I know we all have our favorite ways to listen to podcasts, so hopefully one of those ways at least works for you. And of course, we always appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to our show first off. And any feedback you can throw away on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever it might be is very much appreciated. But all right, today, as I mentioned at the outset, we're going to be pulling double duty today um, and doing something a little different, previewing both. Instead of having just one show on one particular team, today we're going to preview both Vanderbilt and Missouri. And I know a lot of you probably sitting here thinking right now, Vanderbilt, why do I care? Uh, I don't even know about them until I wake up on October 7th uh, when we play them that day. And, And I get that, guys. I do. I do get that. Uh, and initially, we weren't planning on doing a Vanderbilt preview at all because we figured that that would be the general reaction. People just would be like, who cares? It's Vanderbilt. Uh, but lest we forget, you know, don't want to remember this. I know we don't want to remember it. But uh, they did beat us somehow, some way, somehow last year in Sanford. And bottom line, I am completely insane and exceptionally superstitious when it comes to Georgia. And I just couldn't get past the idea that by not doing a show on Vanderbilt – the football gods were going to somehow take that as disrespecting an opponent and punish us accordingly. So yeah, to shut up the voices in my insane head, we had to do at least a little bit of something on Vanderbilt 
Like I said, completely insane, but it's happening. So, Kurt, let's dig into Vanderbilt here just for a few minutes. I don't want to spend too much time on them, but I do want to show them a little bit of respect here before moving on and spending a little more time on what I think might be a major sleeper team in Missouri. Uh, so let's start. We're going to do this a little bit different, kind of uh, streamline this a little bit since we are covering two teams today. With Vanderbilt, Kurt, I'm going to start with this. Give me one stat on Vanderbilt that you think stands out and could potentially tell us something about their 2017 team. Instead of going through all their numbers, just give me one stat that you kind of think might be insightful into what we could see from them this year. Um, I think the biggest thing was defensively, you know, um, the uh, yards given up, I think is the biggest thing, especially when you look at uh, uh, their defense last year. The one thing that really... It's, it's weird, because this is a bowl team from a year ago, right? You know, they struggled for the first couple of years under Derek Mason when he came in from Stanford as a defense coordinator. Uh, he took over the defensive play calling duties last year for Vanderbilt, and they improved enough to make a bowl. Uh, they beat us in Stanford, which just, whatever, man. Uh, then they wrap up uh, the end of the season. They beat Ole Miss at home. They beat Tennessee. They make their way into a bowl game. Uh but if you so, there are people out there that are pretty not well. I shouldn't say high on Vanderbilt, but high on their opportunity to get back to another bowl game. Maybe this thinking this team might be taking another step in a positive direction, getting back to being a at least a, a winning program like they were under uh, James Franklin his last couple years. But I'm not sure that I'm seeing that right now because if you one thing that I always look at when I'm trying to project what teams are going to do moving forward, like from one season to the next. And I know you always have moving parts. There's there's guys that move on from your program. There's guys that are out of your program. There's guys that are going to take the next step, and they're going to develop and become a little better players. There's injuries to consider. There's all sorts of things. But I know Vanderbilt took a step forward in the win column last year, making it to a bowl game and finishing 6-7 and seven after losing to NC State in their bowl game. But they really weren't that much better overall if you look at production because they were still minus 680 five total yards if you add up all the yards they gained offensively and then look at the yards that they gave up defensively it comes out to a net negative 685 yards that is bad guys the only team they were 13 out of 14 teams in the sec in that stat last year the only team that was worse than them was south carolina and south carolina was a different team once they inserted jake bentley into the starting lineup and to give you a little more perspective, to give you the idea of a difference between a really good team and a really bad team like Vanderbilt, Alabama was almost plus 3,000. They were just a shade under plus 3,000 overall. Now, obviously, Alabama was one of the best two, two best teams in the nation last year. But when you look at where Alabama was and where Vanderbilt was, minus 685, that's a dramatic difference there. So this team, yeah, I know their record might have looked a little bit better, but... I'm not really all that certain they were that good last year. I mean, even our team last year, as much as we struggled offensively, we were one of the worst teams in the league offensively, we were still plus like 744. Florida was plus, uh, let's see, Florida was plus 666. Ooh, Mark of the Beast, dude. Like That's too coincidental there. Um, Arkansas was plus 23. Texas A&M was plus 328. So, this Vanderbilt team, yeah, I know they won a couple games. They did beat us, but two of those games that they won were by one point each. So they were two. They were basically two points away from being a four and eighteen. They beat us by one point, and they beat Western Kentucky in overtime by one point. And then you look up at the end of the year, you have a decimated Tennessee team that you were able to beat at home. You have a decimated 
Ole Miss team with no Chad Kelly. You've got Shea Patterson being thrown in, thrust in the starting lineup there, and they had all those, uh, all the controversy swirling around the NCAA investigation. You beat, I mean, I give them credit; they won those games. But there, there's some context there too. So yes, I know they seemed improved based on their record, but I'm not sure exactly how improved they were. And I'm gonna throw another one at you here, real quick. We got Kyle Shermer was the quarterback last year. In the first eight, well, first off, give me your impression of Kyle Shermer. What do you see in their in the Vanderbilt quarterback? Um, average. He's just a he's not a he's not he doesn't excel at any certain point, but he doesn't. But he's he, he's serviceable. Yeah, he's he's okay, right? He's the classic okay serviceable kind of. Do you see him as a game manager type guy, or is he maybe better than that potentially? A little bit better in game manager. I think certain aspects of his game he may be a little bit better, but overall he's probably more classified as a yeah. game manager. Yeah, I mean, to this point in his career, I think he might have a little more potential. I think he has the potential to be a little bit more than that. You know, his dad's been a long-time NFL coach, uh, Pat Shermer, and, you know, it, it, Shermer's year, he was, he was, it was a kind of a tale of two, two halves of the year for Shermer last year. In the first eight games, he threw for a total of 1,089 yards. And that's not a mystery, guys. Eight games, first eight games of the year, Kyle Shermer threw for 1,089 total yards. That's 136 yards a game. That is less than the game manager. That is terrible. That is not that is not power five quality play right there from the quarterback position. But, like I said, it was a little bit different story down the stretch. In his last five games, he threw for a combined 1,320 yards, which comes out to 264 yards a game. So, he threw for more yards in the last five games than he threw for the in the first eight games combined. And now again, you're facing a decimated Tennessee defense. You know, Ole Miss defense is having all sorts of trouble as well. So there's some context there as well. But still, those are pretty. That's a pretty wide disparity there between what he did at the beginning of the year and what he did at the end of the year. And to add to that. He's the. And I think the biggest thing that he gives them is stability at the quarterback position. I think he's somewhere in between the the 136 yards a game through the first eight and the 264 yards a game through the last five. I think he's somewhere in between there, which make, makes him, as you said, a serviceable, okay quarterback. But what he gives them, I think, is stability at that position because he's the first Vanderbilt quarterback. This is hard for me to believe, but it's true. He's the first Vanderbilt quarterback to start every game this season since 2006. That's over a decade. That's a decade. It's a decade right there, guys. I mean, that's stability that they have not had for a while. And if he can kind of somewhat take his game to a, to another level this year, I think he, he their offense should take a positive step in the right direction, especially when you consider you have Ralph Webb coming back uh, to tote the rock. So a little bit of a, an, an interesting story with him and where he might be heading and taking this Vanderbilt offense in 2017. But, Chris, a couple questions I have here for you for Vanderbilt, and then we'll move on to Missouri. Uh, the first question I have here. In 2017, is Vanderbilt ready to rejoin the ranks of what I would classify as winning programs where they finish with a winning record like they were under James Franklin for his last couple years when they finished with consecutive nine-win seasons? So are they going to finish 2017 with a winning record? That's something they have not done for three, plus, three four years now? No, I don't see it happening. I think the biggest thing is offensively. Um, especially, you know, with Ralph Webb, you know, that he gets a lot of talk over there. But I think one thing that's not being talked about is they lost both their center and the starting left tackle, which if you watch them run the ball, that's kind of where they ran a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, they are between the tackles offense for sure. 
And I think that's going to really affect them this year. And I think that's going to – and I think, you know, we haven't talked about it enough, but if you look at defense inside the ball, which, you know, talk about Derrick Mason took over, defense really bailed them out a lot with their offense not doing much. And the fact is they lost their best player on the defense in Zach Cunningham, who did everything for them. He was a do-everything type guy, man. He was he was a very good player for them. One of the guys that you just – you wish we had. I mean, I love our linebacker corps, but Zach Cunningham – you know, one player doesn't ever win a game, but he sealed the game against us with that tackle of of, of, of Isaiah McKenzie there in that toss sweep. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't and, think... And, and you got to think about, like, last year, some of those wins, you got to look at the timing of it. Yeah, they beat us, but the Tennessee and the Ole Miss game, I don't think have a true as big, or, big as impact as people think it does. Oh, I don't think so at all. I mean, well... I, should we throw those games out the window with how they finished the season? I'm not throwing them out the window because they did. They did what they had they to do. They won those games. They did win them. Yards against Tennessee. Uh, but the biggest thing is, though, is I just don't think that those, you know, are program-defining wins that get you on the right track. Yeah, and there's some talk. You know, Vanderbilt was up on SEC Media Days last week, and there's some people that are, not again, not high. I don't know if high is the right word because they're not going to win the SEC. They're not up in that category. But I guess high on them getting back to being a winning program. Uh and one thing they point to is how they finish the season. You know, they they uh, beat Missouri. Or I'm sorry, they lose to Missouri, but still their offense put up 400 yards plus of offense, which doesn't sound like much to, to your average team, but to Vanderbilt, that was they put up 400-plus yards four times last year, only one time in the first nine weeks of the season. And then they, had, they, had, they finished strong with 411 yards at Missouri, 481 yards at home against Mississippi State, 608 against a decimated Tennessee squad, and then back down to 314 the bowl game against a really good North Carolina State defense. So there was some momentum there towards the end of the season compared to what you saw early on, and there's some thought that they can carry that over into the 2017 season. So you're not quite 100% buying that? No, not at all. Yeah, I'm not because again, you look at the context. They lose to Missouri. Uh, they couldn't stop Missouri. I mean, how many yards did they give up to Missouri? I'm going to look this up here real quick. They gave up almost 500 yards of offense to Missouri. Yeah, they they put up 600 yards of offense against Tennessee. They also gave up 516 yards of offense to Tennessee. I mean, this Vanderbilt defense was solid last year, but they were not great. Like, everyone wants to talk about Vanderbilt having this great defense. Derek Mason's a defensive guy coming over from uh, from Stanford. But they gave up 400, 495 yards last year to Middle Tennessee State. They gave up over 500 to Tech. And then when they got blown out 38-7 to by Tech, they gave up almost 500, 496 to Western Kentucky. They gave up 421 to us. And our offense was terrible last year. Actually, it was one of the better games our offense had as, a, as an entire game last year. They got 410 yards to Tennessee State. They gave up 481 to Missouri, 516 to Tennessee. I mean, this defense was okay, but they weren't great. This is not a... Do you see this as a defense that's capable of carrying this team in 2017? No. I don't either. And, and there's some talk that they are that that caliber of a defense because, I think, again, largely because of Derek Mason's reputation, the fact that they won six games last year. So, But I don't see it. They're, a, they're pretty good defensively. Zach Cunningham was a really good player for them, but they weren't a great dominant defense, and I don't think they look poised to be this year, especially when you're losing your best player off of that unit. So I, I don't know. I, I'm with you there. I don't think this is going to be a winning program this year. I think they uh, kind of got there through smoke and mirrors last year and got lucky in a couple of situations. They had, they had to do what they had to do. They won those games, but there were some breaks that kind of fell their way for sure. Like, oh, I don't know, Jim Chain lining up a timeout and running the exact same play they had, we had called and blowing that game. But, you know, whatever. I guess that's in the past. Uh, all right, the next question I have here for you, um, who is the real Kyle Shermer? I know we talked about him for a second. 
are you with me in that he is somewhere between what the below average quarterback he was in the first eight games and the the pretty good looking quarterback he was towards the end of the year? Is is he that guy that he was at the end of the year? Is that who he they can expect him to be moving forward, or is he somewhere in the middle of those two extremes? Uh, he's probably somewhere more in the middle. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's what his productivity would suggest at this point. He's he's shown that he can be a good quarterback, but he's also shown that he can be a a liability for them that, at that position. So when that's the case, where he kind of equivocate between those two extremes. The answer typically is somewhere in the middle there. So I look for him to have games where he looks really good, like he did towards the end of the season last year. But I also look for him to have games where he is a complete liability, like he was for the entire first half of the season last year. Yeah, so I think somewhere in the middle is probably about right for him. Uh, next guy I want to talk about here is a guy that you that gets a lot of love, man. He gets a ton of love. And I'm not sure it's all that deserved. I'm curious to get your take on That's their running back, Ralph Webb, who came back for his senior season. Can Ralph Webb be an elite running back in the SEC. There are people who say that he is already. I don't buy that. What is your take on Ralph Webb? Um, to me, I think he's a good guy or a good running back, but I have, the one thing that gives me is his yards per carry. Exactly. Four and a half yards per carry for his career. Four and a half. That's average as grits. I, I just, that, right? I mean, is there any other way to put that? I mean, no, and that's the thing. He puts up these stats, but I mean, I. I mean, really, five five yards. Five but does he put up these stats? Carry, it's the best he's had. Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, yeah, he, last year he ran for 1,200 yards, but he also carried the ball 250 times. Okay, in 2015 he had 1,100 yards. He carried the ball 277 times. There's He is the guy that is a workhorse back there. And Okay, I, I guess the best thing you say about him is that he's dependable, right? Like when you give him the ball, you're going to get most of the time a, a two, three yards right there. So, if that's the kind of offense you want to have, that methodical type offense, okay. But he's not explosive, is he? No. He's honestly, he's not a running back that scares me. When when we when we line up and play Vanderbilt, I'm not I'm not intimidated or scared by Ralph Webb. Are you? No, not at all. But if you hear some of these national pundits talk, they act as though he's he's up there with the Chubbs and the Darius Geises uh, and the Bo Scarboroughs of Alabama. I don't see him in that. Echelon, if, do you? If that was the case, he would already have turned pro. Exactly. Like, oh, People they, they say don't want him. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's, the argument against that would be, well, you could say that Chubb. I mean, you could say the same thing about Chubb and Michelle. Ah, I, I think they, both those guys have proven themselves more so than Ralph Webb has. And I know he's playing at Vanderbilt with their quarterbacks, their offensive line. But come on, guys, he's a career. He first career is averaging four and a half yards per carry. That's average. That's average by any measure. I mean, look at by his game. Last year, he did have his best year of his career. There's no doubt about that. But again, how much is that saying? Nick Chubb, as a true freshman, half the year almost ran for 1,500 yards as a as a starter for half the year as a true freshman. Now I know that's with Georgia's talent. You can say that, but he just hasn't done anything remotely approach that. In his first year, Webb had two games over 100 yards rushing. Uh, in 2015. He had, let's see how many games, he had one, two, three, four hundred yard rushing games. Last year he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven hundred yard rushing games. So he, de- last year he definitely took a, a step forward, that was his best year. But he still had games where uh, he had 34 yards rushing against Missouri. He had 46 yards rushing against Auburn. He had 48 yards rushing against us on 19 carries. Uh, he had 69 yards rushing against Georgia Tech. So there's still games where he just is a no-show. 
And again, maybe you can say, well, he's running against, you know, he has that offensive line, he's running behind, but come on. I mean, just, if you're an elite running back, you don't get held to 34, 46, 48 yards three times in a game, under 50 yards three times in a, in a year. You just don't if you're an elite running back. He's a good running back, but I just, I don't see him as elite. Uh, and the next question here, last one, before we move on to the matchup, we talked a little bit about their defense already. Uh, I I think this defense is solid, okay? I went through some numbers there, but that would say they're not great. I don't think they're great. I think they're solid, though. But is this, does this defense remain a solid unit with the loss of a guy like Zach Cunningham, or are they going to take a step back this year? They're definitely going to take a step back because he was just the anchor to that defense. He did everything. Yeah, and they got a couple guys coming back. Oren Burks is a guy they've got coming back, but he's playing an entirely new position. They had him playing like a, almost a, a hybrid nickel linebacker type role. He's moving full time back inside, essentially to take over where uh, Cunningham was last year. De- uh, defensive up uh, the defensive line up front is not a dominator. They lost a couple guys there. They they don't really have anyone that scares you. They don't. They just they're they're again like the defense as a whole. They're solid. They're not dominant. They're not going to penetrate and disrupt the backfield all that often. But they have some guys that are, are, are fairly good. So, But I, I'm with you. If you're going to lose a guy of the caliber of Zach Cunningham, who's clearly the leader and best player in your defense, I don't know if you're going to be better in the in the following year, following his departure. So I think they'll be okay, but I think they might take a slight step back there as well. All right, last question here before we move on to Missouri. How do we match up with them? Is this a team that we should go into Nashville and just – wipe the floor with, or are they going to give us a little bit of trouble like they have done over the past several years, beating us I last year? I think we year. match up better with them this year um, with our offense. I think our offense is going to be improved, and um, I think this year, at the same time, you also got to put into it, I think we're going to play with the chip on our shoulder. I agree. Uh, I mean, last year, like we played most of that game. We just didn't score enough points. We moved well, the ball between the 20s. The special teams mistakes, someone catching oh the ball at the God. Yeah. five yard yeah, geez, I tried to put that out of my mind. But, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, we just made too many dumb mistakes in that game. Just, just, And it, that was coaches, players. We just we, were, we moved the ball fairly well between the 20s. We didn't capitalize when we got in the red zone, which was the story of the year pretty much. The defense couldn't stop when they got in the red zone, which is, again, another story of the year. We couldn't stop anybody once they got in the red zone, regardless of how they got there, whether it was on a turnover, bad special teams play, or whatever. Didn't they, I mean, they, they had that long return to open the game, right? Yeah. But uh, we couldn't stop them once they got in the red zone there, and that was a story that that was been the, that was the case all of last year. I think we take steps in the right direction last year. We're clearly more talented than really at every single position. I, I don't. Is there a position that stands out to you that you say that they might have an edge against us? Not right now. Yeah, at, at this point, without seeing them play this year, I, I I can't say that there is. But that was the case last year. I don't think there was a position where they. Well, maybe their front seven might have been better than our offensive line last year. Our offensive line was was a disaster. When you have a guy like Zach Cunningham and some of the guy and some of the guys they had there along the defensive front, Jay Woods, uh, they they might have been better than our offensive line because our offensive line was so bad. I think our line. Will, I, I'm not sure how much improved our offensive line is going to be this year, but I feel confident saying we should be at least a, a little bit better than what we were last year. And they're taking, if you combine that with the fact I think they're, their front seven will take a little bit of a step back this year, I think we should at least be able to hold our own there against that front, Vanderbilt front seven. But outside of that, I don't see anywhere on the field where they can match up with us. I just don't. And if we play our game and don't make stupid mistakes on, from, on the, from the coaching perspective and from the player perspective, this is a game that we should win. We have no business losing this game. We didn't have any business losing last year's game. It's just it's comical that we found a way to lose that game. Uh, but we did. Um, so I guess credit to them. But it should not happen. I think that with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, like you mentioned, we should go in there and win this game. If, what would you, if, And I know it's early. 
Give me a, give me a, a, a line in this game. What would you put out? Would you give us like two touch, make us two touchdown favorites, touchdown, three touchdown? How much? Two touchdowns. Make us 14-point favorites. I think that's fair going into this game. So we'll see. We'll see how these teams match up on the field uh, or once the season gets rolling, see what they've got rolled out there. Game one, game two, and so on and so forth. But uh, I think right now, in preseason, this is a game that we absolutely should win. All right, let's flip the switch here and roll over to Missouri. I'm going to start with a stat that, uh, again, I'm not going to read through all their numbers, but I'm going to give you just a couple of stats that I think are pertinent when it comes to the to the 2017 Missouri team. Uh, so here's the thing. This team was – it wasn't a story of two halves of the season. It was a story of two sides of the ball. They were first in the SEC last season in total offense. 500 yards a game is what they averaged total offense. But on the other side of the coin, defensively, they were dead last in the SEC in total defense, giving up 480 yards a game. That's crazy. That's that, that dichotomy there is insane. We're being first in the league offensively, dead last defensively. That gives you an idea of why they were two and six in the league and didn't make it to a bowl game. But here is what's weird. Okay, that's weird. But here's something that to me is even more strange. I think I might have mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We're talking about offense that we're going to be facing. So they were first in the SEC in total offense, yards game, 500 yards a game. But they were only 90th overall in the nation in points per play. And the reason for that, if, in my opinion, if I'm looking at these numbers and try, trying to draw conclusions, was their red zone performance. Offensively last year, they only scored 69% of the time they got in the red zone. And I'm not talking about scoring touchdowns. I'm talking about scoring at all. So their kicking game was a disaster. They brought in a true freshman who was supposed to be one of the best kickers in the nation, and he was missed. I think they missed like six or seven extra points last year. Their kicking game was a disaster. So once they got in the red zone, they couldn't trust their kicker to even go out there and kick a 30, 40 yard, 30, 35 yard field goal. They couldn't trust the guy to do that. So they were going for it on fourth down a lot. So their red zone scoring numbers suffered as a result of that. So again, not just touchdown percentage in the red zone, scoring percentage overall was 69%. That was like 124th in the nation last year. That's abysmal. So while they moved the ball at will most of the time to the tune of 500 yards a game, they just couldn't capitalize in the red zone, and their scoring numbers were not as good. So to me, this is a team that has what it takes offensively. they got to fix the red zone issues. they got to find somebody that can kick the ball through the goalpost, which, I mean, sometimes it'll be more difficult then it, and you look at us the first half of the year last year. I mean, we almost lost the game at Missouri because of that very issue with with Taylor Ham there. So it, it, it can be hard to find a guy. Now, hopefully they're uh, not. I should not say hopefully, but I'm sure they're hoping that they're the guy they signed last year can straighten it out this year. But that remains to be seen. Uh, and the next thing I want to point, or Curl, do you have a stat for us here before I go to my next one? No, I, I think you got it. All right, so that's one. So I, this is a good team offensively, but defensively. They were terrible. Now, why were they terrible defensively last year? Here's another stat that kind of goes along with that. So, look at the last three years, 2014, 2015, 2016. they got three stat categories. We've got adjusted line yards, which is basically how many yards is their defensive line responsible for giving up. We can isolate it down to that. Uh, power success rate, which is when you've got uh, – Two or less yards to go. How many times are you stopping offenses from getting the first down? And the stuff race, how many times are you stopping the play at or behind the line of scrimmage? Uh, so you got those three right there. And then one more category, I call it's called havoc rate. And this is basically, 
and we've talked about this before in the show if you've listened to these one these are these are advanced stats that I, I think are much more insightful into how good our team is and tell you exactly where their strengths and weaknesses are uh, but havoc rate basically it's a combination of sacks tackles for loss and passes defended last year they took a major step back in havoc rate think about those good or those good Missouri defenses from years past what was so good about them? what made them so dangerous and so tough to deal with uh they got after the Quarterback. They got after the quarterback. They created a ton of negative plays, whether it was tackled for losses, whether it was sacks. You had guys like Charles Harris past couple of years. You had Shane Ray, who was a terror. You had Michael Sam. Uh, you had Marcus Golden. You had a whole line of defensive linemen, specifically defensive ends, that were just terrors to deal with. Well, that wasn't necessarily the case last year. If you go back to 2014, they were 11th in adjusted line yards. They were 66 in power success rate. 38th overall in stuff rate. 2015, when they were a top defense nationally, a top 10 defense nationally, they were 23rd in adjusted line yards, 53rd overall in power success rate, and 6th in stuff rate. So they were creating a lot of havoc behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, 2016, though, they took a major step back. Adjusted line yards went to 97th. Power success rate went to 81st nationally. Stuff rate went to 88th nationally. Now let's move over to havoc rate, which is basically how disruptive is your defense. In 2014, they were 22nd nationally in Havoc rate. Um, and if you want to isolate it down even further, they can divide down between front seven Havoc rate and DB Havoc rate. In 2014, their front seven Havoc rate was 11th in nation. So 22nd overall, creating uh, disruptive plays uh, defensively, and 11th of the front seven. 2015, their overall Havoc rate was 10th nationally. Their front seven Havoc rate was 4th nationally. That was, one of the re- that was the, in my opinion, the primary reason why they were a top 10 national defense. But in 2016, the story is the same thing here. It took a major step back last year. Their overall havoc rate dropped to 55th nationally, and their front seven havoc rate dropped to 54th nationally. So to me, that's why this defense took a step back last year. For them to get back to being the Missouri defense that we were accustomed to the past couple years before 2016, they're going to have to fix that issue up front. Now, part of that was ish- was injuries. Uh, you had uh, Josh Augusta missed a couple games. You had uh, Terry Beckner Jr., who was a big-time five-star recruit a couple years ago, who missed most of the season last year with an injury. Those guys, or at least Beckner, seems to be like he'll be returning full speed this year. So maybe that will solve some issues. Charles Harris is gone, though. So, yeah, you're getting Terry Beckner Jr. back on the interior, but you're losing your main pass-rushing threat and Charles Harris on the edge there. So it remains to be seen if they can get back to the level they were before 2016. But that's what they're going to have to do if they want to be a contending team again in the SEC East and potentially make it back to a bowl game. All right, so let's move away from the numbers. And uh, i got a couple questions for you here. First one, I, this is the, my biggest question for you about Missouri. All right? And here, I'm going to throw this at you. I think Missouri could be the breakout team in the entire SEC this year. And by breakout, what I mean is not like win a title. By breakout, in their case, I mean double their win total from four to seven or eight wins, get back to a bowl game. I, th- I do think they're going to be a breakout team in the SEC this year. So, Kurt, what I want you to do first off here is tell me first why I might possibly be onto something with that prediction. Uh, I think just because based on their offense, you've got to give their offense credit. Where, what makes them dangerous offensively? Uh, the biggest thing is who they have coming back. I mean, they've got about 3,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard uh, rusher, and 1,000-yard receiver. That right there is more than most teams in the SEC have. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we've we mentioned that stat a couple times, but that's that, that's a big number right there. 3,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard receiver, 1,000-yard rusher. Only team in the SEC to do that last year. 
Uh, in their offense, I mean, look, go back. The numbers, 500 yards a game. This was a really, really dangerous offense last year. They just didn't really have the special teams unit to go with it to, to convert some of the yards they were getting into actual points. Uh, but those guys all come back this year. Jamon Moore, the 1,000-yard receiver, he's back. Jamar, Demarie Crockett, freshman last year, 1,000-yard rusher, he's back. Drew Locke, 3,000-yard passer, second-leading passer in the league last year, he's back this year. Uh, so they all, you would imagine, stand to be improved this year, right? With another year under their belt? You would think, yeah. And this was the number one offense in the, in the, in the SEC last year. And the, the almost, I think, they, I think it's 10 stars coming back on that unit. 10 stars coming back. Most of the offensive line is coming back. This, I think the only guy they're losing is their tight end, Sean Colkin. So this is the team that's going to be very, very, very dangerous offensively. Um, but it's not just Jamal. Really, one of the things I want to talk about here is when I was going back and, and re-watching some of their games and breaking down the tape in preparation for this show, I was blown away by the talent they have offensively. Because it's not just Demario Crockett at running back. you got Ish Witter back there. Uh, you've got guys at receiver outside of Jamon Moore. You've got Demetrius Mason and Jonathan Johnson, who were both true freshmen last year, who did a lot of very good things for them. That And they're good enough to take some of the pressure off Jamon Moore, where it makes it very difficult for defenses to dedicate more attention to Moore, because Mason and Johnson are good enough to beat you as well out there. And you got Drew Locke slinging the rock back there. This is a team that I think is going to be poised to do a lot of damage offensively this year. And I, I, I don't see many defenses that are going to be equipped outside of maybe Alabama to stop them from scoring, uh, I don't say at will, but quite a bit. I, I think our defense is going to be really good this year. And we, we have that game at home. But this offense will definitely challenge us. I, I, think, I don't think there's any way to get around that. All right, so that's why I might be right. But let's flip it over to the other side here, Kurt. Now, tell me why I might be way off base with my prediction of Missouri being a breakout team in the SEC this year. I think that there's two reasons. I think the uh, lock is going to stay very inconsistent, which is going to hurt them. And at the same time, defensively, they lost um, They lost Charles Harris. Charles Harris, and that was the main weapon they had defensively last year, creating pressure. And you can say, well, they've always been getting people. Well, they lost that D-line coach who was the one developing yeah. all these studs. Kulaglowski, Rick stole him yeah. down in Miami, yeah. Exactly, and I think this is where you're going to finally start seeing the drop-off in that position. And without that, their defense is not the same. I mean, that's the one thing. They didn't have star players throughout the defense. It was just they had some really good D-linemen who made up for everything. Ah. <sighs> And you're right on all those accounts. And I, I want to talk about Locke for a second here. Give me your overall take on Drew Locke. How do you see him as a player? He's got all the intangibles, but I think he lacks it in the head. Skill set, you're saying, basically. He just, from the neck up, it's questionable. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly how I see it, too, man. I mean, like, going back again, like, he had moments where you're like, holy hell, this, is, this guy is clearly the best quarterback in the SEC. Hell, he might even be one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Or he's got the skill to be that. But then he had those... Also, along with that, he has the "What in the hell are you doing?" moments where he throws the ball into triple coverage, and you're, and you're looking, and you're like, "Why? Why are you making that throw? Why are you doing that?" Lee just leaves him. I mean, he throws off his back foot sometimes, kind of that gunslinger attitude where he thinks he can throw from any platform whatsoever, any arm angle, and he, he just that it, it doesn't he doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. He's not Brett Favre. He can't throw from any angle whatsoever. But when he stands in the pocket, has time to throw, sets his feet, throws a good mechanic, stays on balance, and delivers the rock. I mean, it, it is Rose is scary, and it gets there in a hurry. He might have the strongest arm in the league. I know Eason has a really strong arm. I'm hard pressed to say that I've seen a guy in the league breaking down the tape for all these guys in the enemy series that has a stronger arm than Drew Locke. I think mean, him and Eason are kind of hand are right there, neck and neck. But uh, man, the guy can sling the rock. And 
But I, I will say one thing that he struggles with is throwing with touch. He, he, he wants to throw every throw. And Easton struggled with this some last year, too. He got better towards the end of the season with this. But he wants to just rocket everything in on every single throw. And he throws with this kind of low trajectory where it's, it's like a missile just right there. I mean, there's one throw in the last game of the year against Arkansas that had a huge – I think it was like a 90-yard-plus gain or something. Um, but uh, it, I don't the ball ever got like more than seven or eight feet off the ground. I mean, he just rocketed it. It was, a, it was a skinny post, and he just rocketed it right next to the ear of the defender in chase mode of, uh, I think it was Demetrius John, or it was Johnson who made that, Jonathan Johnson. But it was a rocket, and it was a beautiful throw. It just doesn't get off the ground that much. But I, I th- I'm with you. I think he's got some he's – got, he's a cocky SOB too, right? You watch him out there. I mean, he, he celebrates, man. He talks junk. I mean, he shows up uh, opposing crowds. I mean, he does a lot of that stuff. So not my favorite player because I, th- I don't know if he's – the best human being in the world, uh, just a cocky little dude. I'm jealous of that, but the, the whole, it's got the Bryce Harper effect, you know, just flipping the hair back and forth. Just I don't know, man. Just something that rubs me the wrong way about that. But he's a talented guy. If he puts it all together, I truly think he has the ability to be one of the best quarterbacks, not just in the SEC. He has the talent, I think, to be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire nation. But the question still remains, is he ever going to put it all together and figure it out from the neck up? I, I don't know. Well, That remains to be seen. He's got the skill. He's just got to do it. Um... All right, my next question here for this team, I think this is maybe the most important question because their offense, I think, is going to be just as good, if not better than it was a year ago, especially in the second year under offense coordinator uh, Josh Heupel. But the defense was the problem. If the defense can return to form, or at least sort of, can they? I mean, they don't have to be a top 10 unit, but get back into the top half uh, of defenses nationally. I think this team could be a, a major breakout player in the SEC and can, and can do a lot of damage and be a threat to some of the guys, some of the teams that are actually contending to view is this. Can it form sort of in 2017? I don't see it. Really? Why not? I just think that, like I said, I, the fact that they don't have those true pass rushers is what made their defense so good. So you're not buying Marcel Frazier being able to fill in for Charles Harris? No. So that pipeline of one after the other, great defensive ends. It's just, it's done now. I believe so. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that because Kulgowski, the defensive line coach, is gone? Is that the biggest thing? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's be real. These guys, they're not, outside of a, a few isolated cases here and there, like with a Terry Bettner Jr., they're not recruiting at a five star level or even a four star level consistently. They're, they were all about development. Kulgowski was a big part of that before Rick stole him, took him down to, to Coral Gables. So I think that's something they're missing. Uh, Marcel Frazier, I think, is a guy that could be a he's in the same caliber of a Charles Harris or a Shane Ray or a Michael Sam or even a Mark. He might be more of a Marcus Golden type player who was a good complimentary piece to a guy like Shane Ray. But if you don't have that that alpha dog out there like a Charles Harris, I'm not sure that Marcel Frazier can be the alpha dog himself. He's more of a complimentary player. Maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, and he's going to be a redshirt senior this year, so he's an upperclassman. It's, it's the time is now. But I don't see it. Uh, Terry Bettner Jr. coming back from injury. He doesn't do much for you. No. Yeah, I. I, I mean, he's he's good, but he's he was one of the biggest recruits they've gotten in recent memory. Before though, it was two at a time, two or three. Now they've got just one. Yeah, I mean, last year they you know they were supposed to have him, and then last year couldn't move very well. Then Beckner got hurt, so that didn't really materialize that they were hoping. And you also had to factor in last year their best linebacker Michael Shearer was gone, and you were losing Kentrell Brothers from the year before. Or, or, or Michael Shearer was hurt. I think in the sec- first second game of the year last year was out for most of the year. 
So they weren't very athletic last year. And those guys are coming back this year at linebacker. you got Eric Eric Beisel. He's, he's a solid guy. He's another redshirt senior. He's an upperclassman. But, man, I don't know. Like, he... They're just not athletic at the linebacker position, and that's that's something that hurt them. Because when they were really good in 2015, Kentrell Brothers was a beast at linebacker. And he was just silent to sideline type guy. Could can take you on between the tackles. Could do everything. Do everything type linebacker. Just a great player. Uh, they're also Errol Pinton being the, the number one guy there. So I don't or Arian Pinton, I should say. Uh, so I don't know, uh, man. It's it's tough for me to say with some of the losses, losing your, your top two corners, losing your best pass rusher from a year ago. I know you get Terry Beckner Jr. back, but to say this team is going to make a significant jump back up to where they were in 2014, 2015, that's my biggest concern. So if there's anything that can hold them back from being that breakout team, it is their defense. But I will say, their head coach, Barry Odom, he's a defensive guy. He was the guy running the show as a defense coordinator in 2015 when they were a top 10 national defense. And he took over the play calling towards the end of last year. Didn't really do all that much production-wise, but now that he'll taking a, a strong hand with that defense, maybe you'll see a little bit of improvement from it. And if they they don't have to improve that much. If they can just get back to being respectable defensively, because they were not respectable last year. I mean, Tennessee had like 700-plus yards on them. I think it was like 740 yards of total offense against them last year. That's, that's abysmal. There's no way that should ever happen against anyone, ever. But it did. Um, so if they can just get back to respectability defensively with that offense – I truly believe this is a team that could double their win total from last year and be a team that's seven or eight wins and making it back to a bowl game. Uh, and last question here, just like with Vanderbilt, how do we match up with this team? When they when they roll into Athens in October, how are we going to match up with them? Uh, I think it's going to be a difficult matchup, like you saw last year, but I'm glad we're not playing them a game to figure out our defense when we had Briscoe as starting quarterback. And they and picked the on Briscoe all day long in that game. Yeah, and I, so I think that's really going to help us. And at the same time, I think it's also going to help that if we have a freshman or whoever's playing in that star position, that's going to be a really important position. That they'll have a couple games under their belt to match up. Man, I hope whoever – our DBs just better be ready to play, man, because they are for real. It's not just Jamon Moore. I mean, Mason Johnson, those guys can play. Drew Locke is I – mean, he can't. He has the ability to be the real deal. And what they do – one of the reasons that uh, Demaria Crockett was able to run for 1,000 yards last year as a freshman is they just spread you out. And it's a numbers game. You have to dedicate guys to those receivers. They run. They, they do run a lot of, of RPOs, the run-pass option plays, and they spread you out and have a numbers advantage in the box. And it's not that Demario Krog is a truly explosive running back. He's not. But he's a very patient runner who has good vision. He lets the blocks develop in front of him, and then he can sli- He's he has that kind of wiggle where he can slide through the holes, get skinny, and once he gets, gets out in the open there, there's so much space. The defense is so spread out. There's so much space for him to operate that he can, he can hurt you. I mean, he killed Tennessee in that game. But uh, this is a team a team that I think can definitely challenge us. As good as our defense, I think, is going to be this year, their offense is going to be really good again, and it's going to be very interesting to see who comes out on top there. Uh, but our corners, that that's a matchup that, mm, man, it scares me. They, they At least in that, we, we did a better job in the second half last year but that first half, man, they were just – did not seem like they were moving the ball at will on us. Yeah. I mean, particularly through the air. And I know Briscoe's gone. We're going to have some better guys in the second year. You're right. It's better that we don't have them second game of the year so we have some time for some of these young guys, maybe D'Angelo Gibbs, Richard account, perhaps, to work themselves into the rotation and feel a little more comfortable back there. Hopefully – and one of the issues we had last year, too, was we, we weren't getting after the quarterback enough. And Lockett just had all day back there to just pick us apart. Hopefully that changes this year. Hopefully we find someone. Maybe Lorenzo Carter finally reaches some of that potential and becomes a dangerous pass rusher. Maybe Bellamy. Um, maybe DeAndre Walker. Maybe Chauncey Manat can step up and do some things this year. Those guys haven't done much 
to this point in your career that hasn't been a ton of production there, but maybe they can step up and give us a pass rush. Do you have any hope? Do you think our pass rush is going to do enough to keep Locke out of a rhythm in this game? I think we will. I think one thing that should, I mean, for the most part, is if we have Jonathan Lefter, I think that helps. Yeah. Because we're going to have situations where you'll move him inside like you saw in the spring game against a guard. Yeah. And those can't handle him. And I think in against Missouri, you're going to see a lot of sets like that. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about <laughs> obvious passing situations. I think you know, through, through most in of that general, game. Because they'll try to yeah. spread you out, so you'll want yeah. some speed inside. Yeah, they, they're going to get speed on the field and try to get you in space, and you're going to have to respond with like, with, with speed yourself. So I could see a situation where you have you have a guy like Jonathan Ledbetter uh, lined up inside, um, and you take out some of those big, beefy guys. I, I, I could see, okay, is this kind of what you're envisioning? Ledbetter, Trent Thompson inside, maybe in another five-technique body type guy like David Marshall. You know, Kirby has made no bones about his affinity for guys who are in that 275, 285-pound range, your traditional five-technique uh, defensive end in a 3-4 scheme. Those kind of guys who bring strength and athleticism to the field on any given down. Then you've got Bellamy, Carter on the edges there. That's a pretty formidable group up front in terms of keeping Locke out of out of a rhythm, kind of harassing him somewhat, in my opinion. Is that a, is that a fair assessment here at this point? Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah, so I think we, I think we match up fairly well. Uh, I think we have this. I think we have the defensive line this year that that can keep them off balance offensively, at least enough enough for us to score some points against a Missouri defense that will probably be a little bit improved. But I don't know how drastic they're going to be improved. I think our offense is going to take some major steps forward this year. Uh, so I hope we'll be able to score enough, just a little bit more um, than them, and keep them from pulling the upset in Sanford Stadium. But we'll definitely get much more into that game as it approaches in October. I'm going to give you a little primer here as the season is getting closer and closer. But uh, that's it for us today, guys, on the Glory UGA podcast. Uh, again, you can check us out on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Check back with us next week. We will have a wrap-up of all things Media Day, all the pertinent information that was thrown out regarding our Georgia Bulldogs. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, guys, go dogs.